Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 17 on this Memorial Day weekend. Just so you know, uh, we got Praise Team Light. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we usually have twice as many people up here. Seems kind of different, but uh, they're doing a great job. Uh, we appreciate those who lead us in worship. And this morning, as we come to First Samuel, we come to a story I bet everyone in here has heard. As a matter of fact, my guess is uh, most non-Christians have heard this story at one point or another. It's that wonderful story of the little boy, David, and the giant, Goliath. Goliath. Oh, you know this story. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the struggle, of course, with a story you know is to simply ignore what's being read, right? Uh, because you know the story. You don't have to hear it again. Uh, this morning, I encourage you to pay close attention as we gather around 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start with the story in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, or Saul said to David, I'm sorry, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, by the way, I just find that interesting, the big giant has his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come with me, come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, 
And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. May God add God's blessing, the reading and hearing this God's most holy word. You've just heard this week's focus scripture. Now on to the sermon, starting momentarily. I would suggest to you that's never the purpose uh, of our celebrations, our, even our country's celebrate. We, we don't come to celebrate war. War is not something you celebrate. War is a great tragedy that happens uh, in our lives at times and, and not something that we rejoice over. Um, we we go to war with, I, I hope anyway, um, as a last resort, as a, uh, an attempt to, to try to make something right that has become just horribly wrong. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about war. I, uh, uh, I, I struggle with war. I, uh, when I was younger, I called myself a pacifist. Um, but, you know, you can do that when you're younger. Uh, when you get older and face the reality of the world, uh, some of those things become harder to, to maintain. You may, you may have been able to do that, uh, but I, I, I began to look at, especially when I had a family, now if somebody's going to attack my family, what am I going to do? Um, and uh, so uh, I, I believe that I would defend them. And probably with whatever means is necessary. So when we come to Memorial Day, it's not war that we celebrate. It's a chance to remember those who have died. And died in, quite frankly, a tragic way. Maybe an honorable way, but a tragic way. As a matter of fact, frequently young people who have died. That, that, the older I get, the more of a tragedy that becomes to me. Uh, because when I was that age, I was, yeah, well, I, I would go, I would go. Now I'm, I'm thinking of my son-in-law-to-be who is uh, in the army. And I, uh, do, do I want him to go? Well, no. Does he want to go? Yes. <laughs> uh, because, you know, that's what he's trained for. I get that. Um, but, but it's a struggle. Because we know the high cost of war, don't we? We know what it costs. And sometimes, perhaps, it's worth the price. But it's a hard place to go. To sit with the widow, or the widower, who is only 25, 24, and to sit by their side and to talk about what life will mean for them, sometimes with their children. Um, and it becomes very difficult. You see, Memorial Day is a difficult day. Aren't you glad you came this morning? But it's important that we remember, isn't it? It's important that we remember. In our Scripture lesson this morning, there is a battle that ensues. And it's a battle that is necessary. And the reason the battle is necessary is because human beings, in particular one human being, but a number of human beings, have defied the power, 
not of the, just the army of Israel, but the power of the Almighty God. And therefore, God will respond. President Obama uh, went this week to uh, Nagasaki, um, and he said some interesting things while he was there. I don't know how you feel about that. You can tell me afterwards and just tell me I shouldn't have mentioned his name or tell me what a great job he did. Either way, you can do that afterwards. Um, but, but I thought it was interesting that he, he said this. He said, you know, he said, um, the, the scientific revolution has led to the splitting of atoms. He said, Let me rephrase that. I didn't get it right. I knew I wasn't getting it right, so I, let me get it right. This is what he says. The scientific revolution that led to the splitting of atoms requires a moral revolution. I thought that was pretty profound. The revolution that led to the splitting, splitting of atoms requires a moral revolution. I wanted to shout, Amen! Because the problem with our world, the problem that leads to war, has nothing to do with, with a, a, a sense of nationalism. It has everything to do with the seed of sin that has been planted in the lives of human beings and has been allowed to grow. And the only thing that will end war is the power of the Almighty God transforming the hearts of human beings. A moral revolution. Now, my guess is the President and I would disagree about how that should be accomplished. But I believe that he has touched upon that something that is very profound. Now, he goes from there and he begins to talk about how we... Uh, recognize in one another this commonality of suffering. And he says, perhaps in our common suffering, we can draw out, we can come to a place where we can say, we are in this together, and that will bring about a moral revolution. Well, I, I hate to tell him it won't. Because even when I realize that you suffer just like I suffer, the sin in me says you should suffer more than me. Or I. What is it? Me. More than me. Sorry. My wife's not here to correct my grammar. So, <laughs> so You see, what, what happens in our Scripture lesson this morning is... This Philistine comes, and he defies God. He stands in the face of God. As a matter of fact, he even mocks God. And God then must respond. Because you see, if we continue to mock God, we will continue to find ourselves walking down the road of suffering. If we continue to mock God, we will find ourselves over and over and over again 
facing bigger and bigger struggles and trials, we will find ourselves at war over and over and over again. Because the only way to end war is to change the human heart. You get the point yet? If you don't, you're going to hear it again. You see, I don't want to say that your sin, excuse me, that your sin necessarily caused your suffering, but I will say it's sin that causes your suffering. Listen carefully. It may not be your sin that causes suffering, but I would suggest to you that it is sin that causes all human, listen carefully, all human suffering. You see, when God created us, He created us and He, he formed us and, and He looked at us. and he, Now, when He formed everything else, He looked at it and said, that's good. But when He formed us, He looked at it and He said, what? That's very good. And He created human beings to live forever. Did you know that? He created you to live forever. If you don't know that, listen carefully at the next funeral you go to. Because at every funeral I go to, even for the most horrible person I've ever met in my life, when I went to their funeral, this is what everybody said. They're a good person, and they are in a better place. Why would you say that? If you don't think you live beyond this world, if this is all there is, why do you say, well, you know, they're in a better place? Because you and I both know when we hit death, we are faced with our mortality. And the truth of the matter is we were created to live forever. What screwed that up was we decided that we were going to play God in place of the true God. God said, don't eat from any... No. God said, don't eat from this tree in the garden, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen very carefully to that. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. What's that mean? Well, if I eat of that fruit, then who decides what's good and what's evil? That's what that's all about. God put that in there. You have a choice. You can either do it my way or do it your way. Which way do you choose? And you know the story. Eve took of the apple or the fruit, whatever it was, and gave it to Adam. And before you blame Eve, Adam was right there, heard the whole thing. If you read the Scripture carefully, he's standing right there. He takes the fruit from Eve, and he eats of it. They're going to decide what's right and what's wrong. Does that sound familiar to you? Doesn't that sound familiar? That's the world we live in, right? Don't tell me what's right or wrong. I'm going to decide what's right and what's wrong. That's the world we live in. God says, no, 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 no. That's what leads to suffering in our lives. People over year after year after you say, well, how do you explain that with cancer? Well, I'll tell you how I explain that with cancer. We were created to live forever. We were created in a perfect environment. We've screwed it all up, haven't we? I'm not a big fan of global warming until today. <sighs> um, climate change, call it whatever you want. I don't know if that's true or not. What I do know is that we have polluted this world over and over and over again. You, you can't deny that. All you have to do is go over by the casino there, and there's that wonderful mountain, Mount Trash. 
Look at that. I mean, and they can't build anything on it. Why not? <laughs> because it's polluted. You see what we have done? We've chosen our own way. We've defied the Almighty God. And a result of that is suffering. And that suffering including, includes sickness. That suffering includes fear. That suffering includes death. That suffering is all the things that God doesn't want us to have to experience in our lives. And so this morning, when we read this passage, we want to say, go David, and I'm with you. That's a, it's an exciting story. I love this story. My name's David, by the way, in case you didn't know. And, and, and this story is so incredible. And this story is incredible for a whole lot of reasons. But I don't want you to forget the giant in the midst of it. Don't forget the giant as you listen to the story. Now, David is in a different place. You see, David doesn't live in fear. Did you notice that? Because David believes that the Lord will deliver him. Did you catch that? That's incredible. He believes that the Lord is able to deliver him. And why does he believe that? Well, because he's seen God do it in the small ways in his life. So, when he got out of bed that day, take that illness. That was for Pastor Dan. <clears throat> uh, remember someone's birthday without needing it on Facebook. Take that. Or how about this one? Reach for the pretzels. Ate goji berries instead. Yeah! <laughs> victories. You see, little victories. We poo-poo the little... Did I say that out loud? <laughs> we... We, we, we take the little victories and we don't notice them so much. We need to remember, when, when I was uh, in seminary, I attended a lot of African-American churches. And one in particular had this, this wonderful prayer time. And, and people would give up, get up and just give praises to God. And, and I was young back then, and I didn't think so much of these things as I do now. But I remember this little old lady. She had to be close to 255. Um, I don't know. <laughs> From my perspective, she, she was an elderly lady in the congregation. And she had all she could do to stand up that Sunday. And she said, I just want to praise God this morning that I got up out of bed. And my 22 something looked at her and thought, Why would you thank God for getting out of bed? My. 53-something as of Friday, says, I have every recognition of the deep praise that woman gave <laughs> for being able just to get out of bed that morning. The truth of the matter is that David saw God at work in the little victories in his life. And you say, well, they're not little victories. They're a lion and a bear, for heaven's sakes. But for David, those were next to nothing, something he dealt with every day. And yet he saw God deliver him over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we would see God in the little things, when the big things happen, we would be able to say with David, that my God will deliver me. Because He's done it over and over and over again. When you're celebrating God because you got out of bed, because you had food that morning, because you were able to get to work or get to that appointment, or because you were able to move out into the world, because you were able to share in a wonderful hot day like today, 
If you begin to give God thanks in those little things, when the cancer arrives, when the death of the loved one arrives, when the great suffering of our world begins to arrive, you will still give praise because you know He will deliver you. You say, how will He deliver me? Well, the psalmist tells you that that everybody's going to tell you that God can't deliver you. But He is our shield and a glory and the one who lifts our head. I want you to hear that carefully. Because you see, our God lifts us up in the midst of the suffering of our lives. He's the one who comes along and says, hey, this isn't my plan. My plan is not that you should suffer. My plan is that you should rejoice. So we've gathered just way too many times this year to talk to God because someone we love has died twice this last week. And these this last week were Older people and can't expect to live forever. Oh, yes, you can. And so when we gathered together, we came with heavy hearts because those people we love were gone from us right now. But they're not gone. You see, they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was very clear. If you place your faith in Him, you shall have eternal life. Uh, Mark shared with us this morning that passage. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It doesn't say you could be saved. It says if you believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That means eternal life. That doesn't just mean eternal life, though. That means victory even in the midst of all the suffering that you face. You see, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to take all suffering from you. That's God's plan. That's what God wants for you. But He doesn't say He's going to do that. Because of the sin in this world, those things have yet to be totally conquered. Someday they will be. But what he does say is that he will walk with you through them and he will bring you victory through them. You see, Jesus knows all about suffering, doesn't he? Because when Jesus walked on this earth, perfectly perfect, he walked along sharing the love of God with everybody so that everybody could know how much God loves them. And people defied the Almighty God And they decided they didn't like Jesus' way. They wanted it their way. And so they took Him to the cross. And they hung Him. And I say they. We should say we, right? And we hung Him there. He suffered and He died. And some people said, see, it wasn't who he, he wasn't who He said He was. Surely if He were God's anointed, He would not have suffered. Surely if God, He was God's anointed, He would not have died. But the good news is that they put Him in that tomb and three days later He walked out alive. Because you see, He offers us a way through where our head is lifted high 
where he is transforming our hearts. When David defeated Goliath, the armies of Israel chased the armies of the Philistines and defeated them. But there were others who suffered as a result of that conflict. You see, we forget about those, don't we? Kind of put those in the background. And yet, even through that, God was still at work. You see, when we remember the giant, we have to remember that it's the Lord that brings the victory. And when we put our trust in Him, He gets us all the way through even the suffering. Uh, Second of all, I just want you to see that it's faith that changes everything. It's really faith that changes everything. Did you notice that? You see, there's a way that seems right to us. The Philistine laughs at David. The Philistine says to David, hey, he curses him in light of his own gods, the gods that he has created. The Philistine is going to win on his own power, on his own understanding. He has it figured out. He's bigger than David. He's going to beat him. Now, you know the end of the story. But if you were standing there looking at the giant and looking at David, you'd be saying, yep, Slam dunk. Yep. We know for sure who's going to win this, baby. And yet, if you're a hockey fan, you rooted for the Penguins. You know why? (laughs) Let me share with you. The reason they rooted for the Penguins was because they knew that you don't know who's going to win. Until the game gets played. What's interesting is David seemed to know, didn't he? The Philistine thought he knew. Because he was going to play on his own rules with his own power. But David, David put his trust in God. And we have learned here at Greenfield, and I hope you have learned in your life, that with God all things are possible. We've seen God do incredible miracles here. We had a guy fall out of a tree. They took him to the hospital. The hospital declared him brain dead. They sent him home on hospice. We began to pray. And he's home on hospice, and his best friend shows up to say goodbye. His best friend happened, by the way, this is all interesting to me, happened to walk in just as the hospice nurse was there to do some care for this man whom they hadn't fed for four days. And when his best friend walked in, his head turned toward his best friend. And the hospice nurse didn't believe it at first, had the friend stand on the other side and say, hey, Talk to him now. He stood on the other side, and the man's head turned to the other side. She said, get this man back to the hospital. Put him back in the hospital. They began to feed the poor guy. (laughs) And he was never so grateful. And I'll never forget the day he walked out of rehab, praising God for his mercy and his grace. You see, all things are possible. David, who would have thought? Here he comes. You see, it didn't make sense from a human point of view. But from God's point of view, it was possible. 
You see, I believe that it is possible for human beings to get along. I know it's hard to believe. Even those who are brothers or sisters. I believe that it's possible for us not only to get along, but to have healthy and whole relationships. I believe that it is possible for our hearts to be changed in such a way that we can love one another. As a matter of fact, I am so crazy that I believe that it's possible that we can even love our enemies because God has made it possible through the love of Jesus Christ in our lives as He begins to transform and change that ugliness within us that we call sin. Those things that we do that defy God's plan. Those things we do that decide we're going to do it on our own. God comes in and begins to transform our soul. And as He does that, we begin to see His plan and follow His way and experience not death, even when we die, we experience life. We experience the faith that can attack the struggles of our lives without fear. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you that in our world today, that is one of the most powerful things we as believers can offer to this world because the world is afraid. You don't believe me? Watch the evening news. It's all about disaster. Disaster's coming. Excuse me. First they tell you about all the the natural disasters that are happening around the world. Or at least in their neighborhood. And then they talk about the, the political campaign that's going on. Sorry. Uh, and they play upon people's fear. Why? Because our world is scared to death. Brothers and sisters Christ, we have nothing to fear. If God is for us, who could stand against us? Don't you know that God's still in control? The United States may crumble and fall, but God will still stand. People look at the church today and they say, look, nobody's going to church today. Well, you all made it. I'm glad you're here because it'd be tough for me. Although I could still preach with just a few of you. But the truth of the matter is that even the small number of those who went to worship this morning have greater power because of the love of the Almighty God than the vast armies of this world. Do you understand that? When you walked in this morning and you began to worship the Almighty God, You walked into the most powerful place in the world. You walked into the house of the Almighty God. Did you catch that? If you had gone to the White House, people would say to you, you've gone to the place of power in our world today. Or if you walked into the Kremlin, someone would say, you've walked into one of the most powerful places in the world today. Or if you walked into the Pentagon, someone would say, you've walked into the place of the most powerful army in the world. And the United States has one of the most powerful armies ever established. No doubt about it. But the truth of the matter is, the armies of David are still more powerful than all the armies of the world. You need not be afraid. You see, if you remember the giant, you remember that there is faith that is greater than the giant. The giant in your life.
And then finally, uh, I, I love the way David uses a rock and, and a sling. And the reason why I like this is very important. Because you see, David goes in to the old guard. And you see, the old guard had always used a helmet and a tunic and a sword. That's what the old guard had always done. You see, those old farts, they, they, they always did it that way. You see, we always did it that way. So it's gotta, you got to wear the tunic. You gotta, and David puts it on, and he says, this doesn't work for me. I, I just want to be right up front about that. Because you see, the church frequently says, well, we've always done it this way. Be very clear. God works in different ways. The older I get, the more I say those seven deadly words. We've never done it that way. We've never done, never done it that way. However many words that is. But the truth of the matter is, God is always using new ways, new techniques. David, this young up, upstart, this whippersnapper, this kid, walks in full of bravado, and Saul tries to put his tunic and his armor on him. David said, I can't use these. What's he take? A sling and a few stones. A different technique. Even more powerful. You see, when you look at other believers and you say, well, you know, that's not the right way to do it. Stop a minute. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways out there to serve the Almighty God. There's a lot of techniques that work. I, I hear people frequently complain about uh, those uh, preachers on TV. And i got to be honest with you, sometimes I watch them and I kind of shake my head. But the truth of the matter is, I remember being in seminary and one of my fellow students saying, I don't get it. Billy Graham says the same thing at every stinking revival. And people come in huge groves. I give incredible sermons that have... Great insight, and they're different every time. And nobody comes forward. <laughs> Maybe you should say what Billy Graham says. <laughs> no, the, the truth of the matter is Billy Graham wasn't so concerned about technique. He was more concerned about what the Bible said. And that's what makes all the difference. You see, it's not our technique that has the power. Um, I would like to say that, you know, the way we do worship is what brings people to, to church. Well, sometimes that helps people get here, but it won't change their lives. What changes their lives is the Word of God, the unshakable truth of God. The fact of the matter is, President Obama, if you want a moral res revolution, you have to have a moral law. And if you have a moral law, you have to have a moral lawgiver. So you have to decide who's going to be your absolute truth. Our world says today there is no absolute truth. Make up your own truth. But the fact of the matter is that the only way for your life to change is to put your trust in the absolute truth of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, your life will not be changed. 
when I came here uh, to candidate. Uh, I'll never forget, actually it was before I came here, it was the phone interview. And so I'm sitting in this room and I can't see anybody. And they all introduced themselves and they did a, a great job. But I'll never forget Ted McQueenie. Is Ted here this morning? Ted's not here this morning, but Ted McQueenie says, I only have one question. I'm thinking, okay, great. So do you believe in absolute truth? And of course, as the interviewee, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, what do you mean by that? But the first thing that came to mind was the right answer, I believe. So absolutely. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, there has to be an absolute. And God has shared with us that absolute. It's his word. And he didn't didn't just share it with us in words, but he shared it with us by living it as he came to this earth in Jesus the Christ, the word of God. He made it real. He said, if you live like Christ, you will know the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. Because if you let the truth guide your life, then you will hear very quickly that there are good ways and that there are bad ways. That there are right ways and there are wrong ways. And some people get all upset. Well, God just wants to take my fun away. No, that's not true at all. God wants to give you the strength to live a life that's full of joy so that you can live a life that gets you through the hard times and the struggles, so that you don't find yourself hopeless as the rest of the world has found itself, so that you can still stand when all else fails. You can still stand, so that you can run to the battle line, so that you can take out whatever weapon God happens to give you at that moment, and you can stand firm. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen soldiers of the Lord beaten and and scared and taken their freedom away from them. And yet in the midst of that, they stand there. And as they stand, things begin to change. And the battle begins to transform. And then they begin to re-engage in the battle. And they find victory. Why? Not because of their own strength. But because of what Jesus has done. So this Memorial Day, when you think about those who have died, pray for their families. Please pray for their families. But do a step more. Take a moment and pray for our country. That the Lord might begin to reign in the hearts and minds of those who walk with us down this road. That the Lord might begin to transform the hearts and the minds of our leaders, of our president. That the Lord might begin to transform, not just there, you know, it's easy to say, uh, Lord, fix them, right? That's my favorite prayer. Lord, fix them. They're broken. And every time I do that, God says, I've come to fix you. Okay, Lord. Maybe this Memorial Day, you would ask the Lord to come and help you to see the victories He's working in your life. You would ask the Lord to come 
and fill you with the kind of faith David had so that even in the midst of the struggles of life, you would be able to stand. Maybe this Memorial Day, you would say, okay, Lord, here I am. Forgive me for where I have wronged you. Come into my life. Transform me so that I might stand and be used by you in whatever way you would, seem ba- you would deem best. I give my life to you. Would you be willing to do that? Better yet, why don't you do that today? God loves you very much. And he wants what's best for you. Not just what's good, but what's best for you. Would you put your trust in him today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together this morning and for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you give us. Help us to be open to that truth. Lord, we pray this morning that you would begin in us. That you would transform us. That we would begin to see the truth of your love and your grace. That we would begin to see the victory you have for us. That we would begin and be willing to put our faith in you. That we would this morning, Lord take that extra step and be willing to be used by you in whatever way you would see fit. That not just for our benefit, but that you would be glorified. That our neighbors would see your great love and the power of your love in our lives. That we might be able to share with them what peace really is all about. Lord, we lift up to You those this morning who have faced great loss. Especially, Lord, those who have faced that loss in the midst of war. We pray for peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.